0: Uh, so one Easter Sunday, the minister at church invited the children up and asked them to share what they had learned about Easter. And first child raised their hand and said, uh, Easter is when the Christmas bunny travels all over the world and brings gifts to kids. And, and, and the minister was a little surprised because... You know, the kids were learning about this in Sunday school. So a little shocking they got the answer. But the minister decided, you know what, maybe, maybe that was a one-off. Let's, let's press forward and ask any, any other thoughts. So then another child raised a hand and said, it's when Father Christmas hides eggs throughout the land for the good children to find. And the minister is now thinking, okay, this is going off the rails a little bit. Maybe this wasn't such a great idea. And then one other child raised their hand and said, this is the day when Christians around the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the minister was like, oh, all right, we're back on track. And the child went on. Jesus was dead and buried, placed in the tomb, and on the third day, rose from the dead, rolled the stone back, and stepped into the sunshine. And the minister's about to, Give a resounding amen while the child wrapped up by saying into the sunshine, saw his shadow and said, damn, it, six more weeks of winter. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't blame the child. Easter, Easter, Easter can be a little confusing for us, okay? Did... Did the resurrection literally actually happen, or, or didn't it? Do we, do we still believe that it did? If we, if, if we, if we do, can we still be in unity? If, if we don't, does it mean we can no longer call ourselves Christian or Christian-adjacent? Uh, if we don't believe in the resurrection, do we believe any other part of the Jesus story, or vice versa? There's a lot of questions that come up around this Easter story. And just to be clear, there may not be any right or wrong answers here, but this is the opportunity where we can begin to explore it a little bit. So we can look at Easter, if you want to, as as a factual story that that this actually happened, that Jesus was crucified and, and... Three days later, well, we say three days, but I mean, it's really kind of like a day and a half, right? It's was crucified on Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, so yeah, not quite three days, but hey, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? <laughs> so we can believe that literally happened, and it's okay to believe that, but it does raise the question of if we believe that literally happened... Do we believe then that everything else in the Bible literally happened? And that might, that might strain things a little bit, because I don't know if you read the whole Bible, but there's some pretty amazing stuff that happens in the Bible. Sure, we know about the flood and Noah, we know about Moses born in the Red Sea, but did you know there are talking donkeys in the Bible? There's fists spitting out money. Well, if that was a real story, I'd be happy for that one. People are being turned into condiments. <laughs> Give it a minute. Yeah, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt, in case you didn't know that story. Right? So there you go. So, so if you're going to believe the resurrection literally happened, then you have to believe all these stories too. Either the Bible is a factual collection of stories or, or it's not. And then if you choose to believe some and not others, then... Sit with that and ask yourself, well, why do I believe some and not others? What is my attachment to believe in certain stories actually happened but not others? What strains my credulity and what doesn't? So those are questions you get to be with. So you can also step away from the literalism and look at the Easter story as a parable. Okay. So, so what's a parable? We know as we read the New Testament, Jesus taught in parables. So parables are short, fictitious stories that illustrate um, a a prevalent attitude of the time or even a religious principle. So some of the famous parables we all know is like uh, the the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. And, and, And sometimes we hear about these stories and think that, oh, these are things that happened. No, these were stories that Jesus made up. Jesus was a great storyteller if you read the Gospels, Okay. So, and, and, and there are such par- powerful parables that we use them and live from them to this day, right? We actually have good Samaritan laws on the, on, on, on the books in some states based around this story, which was originally a story, not a thing that actually happened. So even if you believe the Bible is literal, within that is him telling a story. So from the beginning, the like the uh, Good Samaritan, was a made-up story. And if you spent any time at all digging into the history of the Bible and the actual authorship of the Bible, we know that the individuals who wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, even the Book of John, well, all of them, really, um, they weren't around when... Jesus lived, assuming he lived. But that's another talk for another time. Let's just start with that premise. Um, but, but they were not around. Some of these stories written decades after. I think we know that the, 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 the earliest or the, the one closest to Jesus' life was written 70 years after he died. And we all, as children, remember that telephone game right? We all as adults know what it means to do some juicy gossip, <laughs> right? By the time you're done, what's being told is a little removed from where, what actually happened. So we can read these Gospels themselves as maybe parables. Perhaps the whole story of Jesus' life is itself a parable Written by the authors of the Gospels, perhaps they were written to maybe illustrate a certain, you know, message of of of, of love conquering hate, of of of, of oneness conquering uh, separation, of light over dark, of of redemption over 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 oppression. Perhaps that was the whole point of the story. If you ever read the book of Revelation, which I highly advise you not to, if you ever read the book of Revelation, you know, which speaks a lot about the end times, what we know historically is that entire book was a parable, a metaphor, written to describe the fall of the Roman Empire in those days. So that entire book didn't happen, isn't going to happen, literally, as described in the book of Revelation. It was written as a story to illustrate, to actually inspire and bring hope, to say that one day this oppression will end and we will be liberated. So is it so far too far-fetched to assume that maybe that's how the other Gospels were written as well? Food for thought. Or there's a third option. It's the third option, which is the one I think, if you're sitting in these seats, you may mostly align with, which is what unity brings, which is the metaphysical idea that, 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 that we don't have to necessarily, you know, focus a lot of attention on mental energy on if it's real or if it's not real, but what is it that it, any part of any story Represents in our own spiritual journey, our own spiritual awakening. And that's what the Easter story does. The Easter story, metaphysically, is a story of us awakening and rising up in spiritual consciousness to the I am of us. The I am, which is the, the, the divine, uh, holy uh, imprint. That is who we are. It is, it, is, it is the core essence of who we are beyond the personality, beyond everything else. It is, it is God as us. That is the I am. And, and whenever we awaken to that, whenever we elevate our consciousness beyond being stuck in, in the humanness of us, that's, 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 we're having an Easter moment, uh, if you will. And, and as we awaken, there's, there's kind of three stages to, to this awakening that sort of parallel the Easter story. Uh, because if you remember the Easter story after he was laid in the tomb uh, on Friday after he was crucified, you know, it's Sabbath, and, and then after the Sabbath was, was ended, uh, then women came to the tomb to anoint the body and they found the stone was rolled away and the body wasn't there. So that means that we don't actually know exactly when that resurrection happened and or that stone was rolled away, right? When you think about it, they came and found it already happened. So it could have been late Friday, it could have been Saturday afternoon, who knows? So so that moment of resurrection happened unbeknownst to anyone else. And that's sort of when our first awakening, or every awakening happens. It's, it's to ourselves. It's, it's within. That's where it first happens, and nobody else knows about it but us. And then we have a choice. Then we have a choice to share that awakening with others, because Jesus could have resurrected, tomb be empty, and he could have not appeared to anybody else, and we'd have been left with this great mystery of who stole the body. Some people still think that happened, but again, another story for another time. <laughs> but here we are. We have this internal awakening, and then we decide to share it with others. And more often than not, we share it with those closest to us first in our, in our circle, in our, in our community, not only because it's safer, but those are the people who we uh, come into contact with first. And we mostly do this simply by living our fully authentic selves, our awakened selves. When we choose to live from, from love, from compassion, from kindness, rather than from fear and separation and anger and intolerance. Those are, those are just some of the simplest ways we can demonstrate that awakening uh, to ourselves. And then when we do that, as we continue to do that, then we can spread that message further. Uh, One of the last things that Jesus did um, after he was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples, uh, he said, go into the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. This is what, in Christian parlance, is called the Great Commission. Now, unfortunately, there are many who have in the past and continue today to think that that means we have to go and convert people. Remember the Great Crusades? If you study history, the Great Crusades that resulted in the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives. That was an extreme perversion of this go out and proclaim the good news to all of creation. We still see it today where we have certain uh, religious communities, religious Christian communities who feel this means to go out and be missionaries and go to countries which, you know, coincidentally or not, mostly contain black or brown people and say to them, what you believe is wrong, you got to believe this way. Okay? And to be clear, some missionaries and some missionary programs actually do good work. I know know a woman who... uh, was from Ethiopia, and she said she would not have learned to read or write if it wasn't for the missionaries that came. But it also, also always came with um, a price as well. Go out and proclaim the good news to the whole of creation. How do we proclaim that good news? We show up as the embodiment of God, of the divine. And then we act from it. We take action along those lines. We be in service. Plus, we're in the age of social media. Everybody's got a global platform. What are you sharing? What are you talking about on those platforms? This is how, this is how we bring this awakening to the world. But there is a part of this Easter story that we don't talk a lot about. And sometimes we even give it a bad rap. And that's the tomb. You remember the daily word that was just read? Can can we bring up that daily word slide? Uh, Last part. The trials of the world are always temporary. Today I roll away the stone of limitation And I'm resurrected in the truth of God. With joy I rise again. Now listen, I'm a unity minister. I don't like bashing unity a lot. Maybe a little bit I do. But I don't agree with this summation of the tomb. And you know who else doesn't? Unity's co-founder, Charles Fillmore. Here's what Charles Fillmore writes about the tomb. The tomb is a resting place. It was where Jesus was laid to rest, and it represents an elevated, peaceful state of consciousness in which he rested for three days previous to his resurrection. For us, the tomb represents a high state of consciousness in which we improve in character along all lines. We not not only grow into a broader understanding, but we increase also in vitality and substance. We are resting in God and at the same time gathering strength for the power of greater demonstrations to follow. When we talk about the Easter story, more often than not, the tomb is talked about as this place that kept something trapped, that kept the body enclosed, that it was regarded as the thing to escape from, something that limited us. We just heard that in the Daily Word. But that's not what the tomb is. The tomb is a place where we rest and gather strength and power for demonstration. The Easter story isn't just about the resurrection. It's about the tomb as well. And this is our story as well because we have to both emotionally, mentally, and physically rest in order to do the awakening and the demonstrating of the oneness of God that will change the world. We have to rest. We have to be in the tomb just as much as we awaken and do our work in the world. So we got to start rewriting this Easter narrative about we have to escape the tomb. No, I say stay in the tomb a little longer if you have to. And rest. We have to rest in order to demonstrate. We have to rest before we do the work and while we're doing the work to create a world of love and justice and equity. We have to rest in order to to switch the narrative and begin to truly create a culture, an anti-racist culture. And what do I mean by that? There's a sense that maybe you felt it, I know I've felt it, But especially living in this country, there is always a sense of urgency, a sense of, I got to be productive, I got to get it right, and if I don't, something's a little bit wrong with me. These ideas are not by accident. These ideas are what we call, in the the anti-racist world, we call these uh, white supremacy culture norms. This idea of your worth is equal to your productivity. And if you think about that for a second, think about that for a second, this is, what the, this is how the enslaved bodies, the enslaved black bodies were judged. Those who could do the most work were ones who had the same value. And that idea continues to permeate hundreds and hundreds of years later not just through this country, but major parts of the world. Your worth is your productivity. You know what your worth is? Your worth is the fact that you exist. You are worthy simply because you exist. You don't have to prove nothing to nobody. You are worthy simply because you exist. So one of the ways we subvert these cultural norms, is by taking a rest, taking some time in the tomb before we awaken and we rise up. And especially if you were a black woman or a black woman of color, this is really important. Because let's be clear, when we look at the history of this nation, black women are the ones who've had to work the hardest. When we talk about sexism in this country and we look at things, for example, like the gender wage gap, when we look, for example, at at the women who are in positions of, of authority and management and leadership in the corporate world and other places, when all these things negatively affect women, even more so than negatively affect black women and Hispanic women and Asian women, this is the idea we call intersectionality. And black women have been taught, you've got to work even harder, not just work harder to get further, but then put mother in on top of it and taking care of a family. Rest, rest is one of the most powerful forms of resistance to this idea So when we talk about Easter moving forward, yeah, let's talk about the awakening to our spiritual consciousness. Let's talk about the getting out and demonstrating. But let us talk with equal amount of time and importance about resting in the tomb. There's a reason why Jesus was crucified on Friday and he didn't roll that stone back I don't know when, but let's assume that it didn't happen till close to Sunday. There was a period of rest. The narrative is he went into hell and conquered death. My thing with that is, well, if he went down to hell and conquered death, why is there still hell? <laughs> Think about that for a second. Right? There, was no, there was no going down, there was no conquering, there was none of that. There was rest. There was stillness. There was acceptance of self. And as our co-founder Charles Fillmore says, gathering strength for the power of greater demonstration. So if there's two things you remember from this talk today, one of them is that you are worthy simply because you exist. And two, if you want to make bigger demonstrations, take more rest. Take more rest. Let's take a moment of rest right now as we go into meditation. So I invite you to plant both feet on the floor. And if you are comfortable, take a deep breath. Either gently close the eyes, or if you want to soft gaze at this candle up front, you can do that too, but... Let's center in and take a moment just to notice how you feel. Might there be any places of tension and anxiety within you based on what you just heard? Maybe you came here today expecting a fun empowering Easter awaken message and you got something different. Perhaps what you heard today touched the wounded place in you. Just check in and see how you feel. And allow yourself to accept whatever is arising with you now. Knowing you don't need to stay in that place but just let any resistance fall away. Breathe. Perhaps you are resisting the idea that you are worthy simply because you exist. Perhaps. You've had to struggle your whole life trying to prove your worth. Perhaps the idea of resting fills you with anxiety and fear. Just simply notice what arises and breathe. Breathe and connect with the heart. Center in the heart now. Allow your heart space to be that Center from which emanates your power, your strength, your love. And know that there is nothing you need to do to be more of that. You simply need to rest in it. rest in the knowing that you are the fullness of god the fullness of love the fullness of all that exists and there's nothing you need to do but to rest in it So let us do this right now. Let us rest for a few moments in the silence of our hearts. let us always rest and breathe growing in strength and power so that we may demonstrate the fullness of love that we are because we are worthy and so it is and so we let it be